بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد I'm assuming everyone's just woken up, right? Nobody's done a whole nighter. Who's done a whole nighter? Subhanallah. I would have thought it was Bilal Sahib doing a whole nighter. Other than that, everybody else went to sleep. Okay, so the Prophet said, Man asbaha minkum. Whoever wakes up, and he mentions a few things. So we've just woken up, right? We've just woken up. He says, whoever wakes up from amongst you, aamilan fi sirbihi, and mu'afan fi jasadihi, walahu kutu yawmihi. Three things he mentions. Whoever wakes up, number one, you are safe in your home. Safe in your home. Were we safe in our home when we woke up? Did you have any trouble, any threats? Anybody standing with a gun? Any... Are you, are you worried when you get home you might not make it? We know, we're very confident that we've come and inshallah we will go back. Salimin. Okay, safely. That fear isn't there. Uh, this is called Amn. We don't know the value of Amn. Ask those people, ask those people who have lived under fear. This is a huge thing we have over here, which is Amn which is security, peace. No, you're not fearing for your life. There are people, in, even in our circle now, there'll be people who've been in certain countries that maybe they've had to flee from one country to another. Why? Because they were running for their lives. You know when you say run for your life? We use it as a joke. Okay, run for your life. Like maybe you, you're in traffic or something. And just so that you don't get a red light. This is our, the greatest fear we've probably been through in this country. But there are people who today in today's world are literally running for their lives. So the Prophet is saying, when you wake up in the morning, this is one of the things you should appreciate, that you are living in peace and security. Uh, brother is from uh, Sudan. So in Sudan, for example, you're hearing on the news every so often, very recently as well. There's a lot of trouble happening, not just in Sudan, in many of the other countries as well. People are fearing for their lives they don't know if they're going to be safe the next day if their children will be safe so whoever wakes up in the morning and you are safe in your home this is one thing second one you are healthy in your body are we healthy did we notice this when we woke up okay we could see we could hear we could speak we could use our limbs we made wudu we got dressed ourselves nobody had to dress us nobody had to make us do wudu and then we walked it here. Even those who came in the car, you walked it here. This shows good health. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here where we are. So this is another thing we need to focus on when we wake up in the morning. Am I in good health? Alhamdulillah. And number three, he says, You have enough food for today. Do you have enough food for one day? Or do we have more than enough? A bit too much, right? But we don't feel like that. We don't think like that, do we? There's nothing to eat, man. This is our language. There's nothing to eat today. This is so the Prophet. How many things has he mentioned here? How many things? Three? What about waking up? Is that not a blessing? So generally we say three. But what about Man Aswaha? Many people didn't wake up last night. 
We've woken up. Many people didn't actually wake up. That's it. They've lost their chance opportunities to do anything in this world. They'll never be able to see their family. They can never enjoy their house or their home or their work. They can never get a chance to fix things. Maybe they wanted to make toba. Maybe they wanted to do some good deeds. Maybe they wanted to go for hajj. Maybe they wanted to, you know, be kind to their parents. They won't get that chance. We've woken up. So that's like four things now. When asbaha minkum, whoever wakes up, so obviously waking up is one. Amilan fi sirbihi, safe in your home. And mu'afan fi jasadihi, healthy in your body. Walahu kutu yawmihi, you've got enough food just for one day. The Prophet says, It's as if Allah has taken all the luxuries of the world and He's given them all to you. You've got, it, you've got everything going for you. That's what the hadith says in our language. You've got everything going for you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to recognize His ni'am and His blessings and bounties. Allah has given us so much. So much. So if we try and count these, this is why we should count our blessings. Mention our blessings. Remember our blessings. Allah used to remind the Bani Israel, Ya Bani Israel at Furu, alameen. He used to tell them, and when he's telling them, why? The Quran, is the Quran for Bani Israel? No, they've gone. The Quran is sent to us. So Allah is telling us. That I want you to do this as well. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. Look what happened to them. So one of the things Allah reminds us again and again is to count our blessings, to focus on our blessings, to think on what Allah has given us and not focus on what He hasn't given us. There's one or two things we don't have. There's one or two things we don't have. Okay? Allah has chosen for whatever reason not to give us one or two things. We can try for them. We can strive for them. But for day and night to keep thinking about only those things, that will make us think that Allah hasn't given me anything and has given so much to the rest of the world. May Allah give us a tawfiq. Okay, what were we speaking about? Jumping to conclusions. So last week we started a new um, way of thinking and we said it was called jumping to conclusions. And in jumping to conclusions, what happens? One of the uh, human emotions we connected it to was, who can remind us? Before we get there. What was the human emotion we connected it to? Anger. So things are going to go wrong in life, right? That's, that's a given. Things are not always going to go the way you want. We will. May Allah keep us with afia. May Allah keep us safe. May Allah keep us smiling and joyful. But the reality of life is we are going to experience trials, tribulations, calamities, tragedies, difficulty, hardship, illness. These are things which are part and parcel of the dunya. In Jannah, there'll be none of this. That's Jannah. This is not Jannah. And that's why this is what happens in this world. So whilst we are in this world, we are going to experience certain things which we are not going to like. When these things happen, sometimes it will evoke us to become angry. When we become angry, one of the things we do is we jump to conclusions. And when we jump to conclusions, there's two ways we show this. Who can remind us? Last week we spoke about this. Okay, so one of the things we do is called mind reading. Where if I'm angry with somebody, 
I'm going to start mind reading. Something they haven't said or done, but I'm already thinking that this is why you did it. This is what you were thinking and this is why you did it. Is it based on facts? No. So factually it's not correct. And most of the time it's not correct. It's because I'm angry, I'm not able to think properly. So in that limited thinking capacity, this is why we've been told, when we're in anger, we shouldn't make a decision. Uh, when we're in anger, we shouldn't discipline. We shouldn't make a decision. Why? Because you're not fully thinking at that time. You don't have the cap capability to think fully at the time. So one of the things we do is mind reading. What's the other thing? Fortune telling. Fortune telling is, one is mind reading is when I'm telling you, oh, this is why you did this. Or this is probably why you didn't do this. And then we go to fortune tell saying, oh, this is what's going to happen. I'm telling you now this is going to happen. Whereas it's not happened yet, but we've made our mind up. Some, and that will lead to a person becoming more angry and then causing more chaos. So that's what we're going to speak about today, inshallah. We'll continue with discussing that because it's something that we all experience. And it, it would be so helpful for us to know uh, why this is happening and what to do when this happens. So we know from many examples in Islam that spiritually trials, tribulations, challenges are overall good for us. We've been hearing that, how are we? That even though we face difficulties, but there's a lot of benefit in there. It's like we call it a blessing. We don't ask for it, but we know many times that causes us to be raised in the rank of Allah. Maybe Allah is removing a different calamity. Maybe Allah wants us to get somewhere else or find meaning in that. Maybe in hereafter Allah has kept a high status in Jannah for us. We don't know, but we know that calamity and trials in the world that take place, there's a lot of meaning to them. Spiritually very uplifting, but at the same time, does it feel good in the moment? Does it feel good when we're going through it? Okay, so we don't really want it, do we? Nobody wants it, nobody should ask for it. Now, during those times, we experience some difficult emotions, frustration, we become very anxious, we become very miserable, and one of them is anger. Anger is a very natural human emotion, and we experience anger when things don't go our way. And the Prophet ﷺ, in one hadith, he describes anger. What did he say? He says, verily, anger is a burning ember in the heart of a human being. Ember, you know what an ember is? Yeah, you've seen coal burning, right? So what does a coal look like? Right, when it's fully burning and it's, it's, it's radiant. So the Prophet ﷺ said, anger is this ember and this coal burning in your heart. You see in the redness of a person's eyes. So the burning happens so much that even the eyes become red and you can see it. And the bulging of his veins, you can see that the veins start to bulge as well. Now the Prophet ﷺ, very beautifully, he's telling us what to do when that happens. Where whoever feels anything like that, let him lie down on the ground. Let him lie down on the ground. Because you know, this is beautiful. The Prophet ﷺ is teaching us something so valuable that had we practiced this, we could have avoided many troubles in our life. Yes? Do we all agree? Right? Think back to a, a time or think back to the most recent time when you were very angry and you acted out of anger and what you did. 99.9% or 101% if that's such a thing, you will have regretted what you did. 
Yes? Now imagine we practice on this teaching of the Prophet Now when that happened, we went and lied down. And it's not always possible to lie down. But the instruction of the hadith is telling us to go to a lower place. If you're standing up, then you sit down. If you're sitting, then lie down. You're lying down, go make wudu, drink a glass of water. These are the instructions given in the hadith. Why? Because the anger is, is like a burning fire. When fire burns, what happens? It rises. Isn't it? When we're lying down and we get angry, what happens? We sit up. If we're sitting up, we stand up. And if we're standing up, we start jumping up and down. Okay, so this is the Prophet is telling us when you experience anger, it's not wrong to experience anger, we'll become angry. But he's saying at that time, we need to be going downwards, not upwards. Uh, that's if you want safety. If you don't want safety, then carry on going up. Now, so let's try and understand what happens when we become angry. And I think when we're more aware of what's happening, then we can manage it better as well. If we're not aware, then we just think, I don't know what's happening to me. Do you, do you hear this a lot? I don't know what's happening to me. You, most people who become angry, they say, I don't know what happened to me. I don't know what got inside me. Well, learn then what's happening to you. That's the solution. Learn what's happening to you. Because that's, that's an immature answer to say, I don't know what's happening to me. How can we go our whole life by saying, I don't know what got inside me. Oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That's, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. We have the opportunity. We have the tools. We've been told the Prophet ﷺ has given us a whole breakdown of what happens. So let's try and understand. When something happens that we don't like, maybe somebody says something to you. Maybe you see something, okay? Maybe a, a, a wife comes home and expecting the dishes to have been done or something or the laundry to have been done for one day in the year. She does it every day of the whole year. One day she said, can you do the laundry just today? And she comes home and it's not done. Okay, this is just one example. And it could happen anyway. Maybe somebody says something. Maybe somebody crosses you on the road. Anything, any kind of something or you, maybe your child misbehaves or does something. It could be absolutely anything. What happens is it triggers something in the brain and normally it's in the middle part of the brain which is called the, the amygdala and that is what controls your emotions. Generally what controls your emotions. So that becomes all fired up and that becomes on alert. So imagine alarm bells going off in this part of the brain which controls your emotions and that is what controls things like fear, um, anxiety, general stress and what happens now is because this has been fired up this starts sending messages now to the rest of your body so your blood your heart starts pumping faster you start breathing differently your blood's flowing in a different rate uh, you're feeling more tense some people might start sweating different different things start happening but we have to follow it back slowly 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 we can't just say, I don't know what's happening to me start following it back when we start paying attention and noticing you will actually see these things happening one after the other and you'll be able to make sense of it oh look this is what's you, and you'll actually find it funny afterwards 
Imagine being in the driver's seat, being able to control it. That's amazing, right? And that's what Allah wants. Allah wants us to be people that manage ourselves better, not are not driven by our desires or our our nafs, because the nafs will want to just go and lash out and do anything it tells you to do. But we have to be able to manage it. Might not go away. We're human beings. We can't become non-humans, right? So those emotions will always be there. But to be in the driver's seat, the first step to that is self-awareness, to know what is happening to me. So, and by the way, this is not some kind of illness. There's nothing, nothing wrong with you. This is a natural, healthy human emotion to get angry. But to keep it under check, not let it get out of control. You're allowed to get angry. If you don't get angry, you're not a human being. So, you're allowed to get angry. It's what you do when the anger comes. So these are things you'll notice. Uh, breathing changes, your heart races, your muscles start getting tense. Um, and then, another thing that happens is, the areas of your brain that are responsible for making decisions, that's the front part of your brain. Just think that that becomes impaired in a way that it's not fully functioning, it goes offline. That's why a lot of times when you're angry, you don't remember what you want to say. When you're in an argument, I want you to think back in an argument, when you're in an argument, and you said lots of horrible, nasty things, and then afterwards you came back, and yeah, I wanted to say this as well. And I couldn't remember it at that time. How often does that happen? So at that time, our prefrontal cortex, what makes the decisions, that's not fully online as well. So it's not really good to have any conversation at that time because what we're saying won't be fully what we want to say. We'll end up saying things that we don't want to. So that's another thing as well to understand. Now, following on from here, based on research that has been done, when people are angry and having these negative experiences, one of the things that we are most likely to do at this time is jump to conclusions. Jump to conclusions. Even though there's no link, there's no link whatsoever with A and B, but this tends to happen. By us knowing about this, when it happens, we can be more aware and then inshallah we can learn to think in a better way. So, and usually because we are, we live to survive, we're always looking for the worst case scenario. This is what generally happens. Thinking of the worst case scenario. For example, a lady, she's waiting for her husband to come home from work. He's supposed to come home at five o'clock. At six o'clock, he hasn't come home. 6.15, he hasn't come home. Now the phone calls start. One call, second call, third call, fourth call, fifth call, sixth call. Now she's getting angry. Why is he not answering my phone? Why is he not home? He said he's going to be home at this time. He's still not back. He's still not back. Now, she's angry. She has a right to be angry. She's angry because he's late. He's not given any details. But at the same time, what's happening now, her thinking brain isn't fully functioning because she's so angry. So all of these things that we spoke about are all happening inside her. But at the same time, what happens is, she starts thinking, did he have a car accident? Can you see? That's jumping to conclusions. Is there any proof that he had a car accident? We start thinking of the... Can you see where that can take you now? If I start thinking that, or she starts thinking, 
that maybe had a car accident. Now it's going to drive her mad. Can you see the difference that will make on her? So that's one example. If, for example, a friend of yours, uh, he's been acting a little bit distant recently, um, and you start thinking, like, again, jumping to a conclusion, is this the end of our friendship now? Is that it now? Can you see how far it's gone? Maybe it's two days, two days, this person didn't maybe respond to you, or maybe was a bit cold towards you, or maybe didn't remember something you told them, or forgot your birthday or something like that, and you start thinking, hmm, maybe that's it now. That's the end of it. By next week, we're not going to be friends anymore. Like, that's going too far. Right? We've jumped to a different conclusion, and there's no proof of it. You've gone shopping, and your child starts messing around in the supermarket, running up and down the aisles, taking things, uh, pushing people, and you start, at that time, you start thinking to yourself, have I failed as a parent? Am I just the worst parent? I don't even know. I shouldn't have even had these children. Why? I don't even know how to look after my child. By the way, your child's misbehavior, especially if they don't misbehave like that at home, doesn't represent you. That's not you. A lot of times we feel a lot of pressure when our children misbehave, or we, even if that's, is it, is it actually called misbehavior, or they're just being a child. That doesn't represent you. Because you, you might have been doing everything you knew of how to do. So sometimes we feel as if people will think, oh, oh no, this person, what kind of a father is this? What kind of a mother, what kind of parents are these? And only you know how much you're putting into your child. So, yes. Yeah. Definitely, most definitely. This is what differentiates us from others because we are Muslim and we believe in a spirit, we're originally spiritual beings living in a physical world. That's our, we are, as original people, we are spiritual beings living in a physical world, right? So we believe in these things. We know that we have an angel, we have shaitan constantly with us. So we can return back to this and say that it's not just, that's why it's not just you, it's the shaitan as well, influencing you as well. And when you're angry, we know shaitan gets more of a chance. This is why uh, we know that when, when a person is angry, shaitan has much more control over you. And that's why you feel the blood kind of flowing in the shaitan. You feel it says in the hadith as well. That shaitan flows inside you just like your blood. Now when the blood is flowing really fast, when you are angry, that's shaitan flowing inside you. And this is why we've been told what to say when you become angry. So of course there's an influence of shaitan at that time. Even in, in the, some of the thoughts that we have because this is a waswasa. He wants you to just think bad uh, as well. Hmm. That's one of the ways, yeah. That, that, yeah, these are some of the ways. Lying down, drinking water. But I think even before that is self-awareness. 
Because this is what the Prophet taught. He said, look, when a person becomes angry, you can see the redness in the eyes. You can see the you know, blowing up of the veins. But if you can't notice that happening, then you're not going to really read anything. It's going to be too late. So we have to beforehand start noticing these things when they happen so that we can manage it better. Yeah. So we jump to conclusions. Like the lady could have just thought, my husband's phone ran out of charge. The battery died. Or he's in traffic and the batteries died. That could, but we don't, we, we normally go to the worst case scenario. We don't go to the best case scenario. Um, let's take an example. Now this is something tragic. Somebody losing their child. A lady has experienced, a family's experienced a miscarriage. Now we're going to speak about how the thinking goes over here. So some ladies now saying that I've been hoping for a child for so long. Now that chance has been snatched away from me. Can you see? Now that chance has been snatched away from me. What did I do to deserve this? Allah gives children to so many other people. He must think I'm an unworthy mother. I'm unworthy of being a mother. What's this lady doing? Jump, yeah, okay, so we're, we're speaking about jumping to conclusions and there's two ways in which jumping to conclusion manifests. What are they? Mind reading and fortune telling. Now I want you to tell me what is this lady doing exactly? When she says, Allah gives children to so many people, he must think I'm unworthy of being a mother. What is she doing? Mind reading. Whose mind is she trying to read? Of course, we don't believe Allah has a mind like humans, but in that sense, how do you know that's what Allah is thinking? Can you see in that moment, if we were to be aware, how silly does that sound? But when we're going through it, it doesn't sound silly, does it? Right? That is what drives us. So if we're aware of this, it sounds silly, isn't it? You think, you don't know what Allah's intention is. But the lady is saying that maybe Allah thinks I'm not worthy of being a mother. How often do we think things like this? We do. So that's mind reading. If I knew that's called mind reading, that's what you're trying to do. It's based on nothing. There's no facts. Did Allah send you wahi and tell you this? Okay. Was it in the, in the Quran you read this? No. And then she says, if I'm unworthy of being a mother, I'll never have children and my husband will hate me. What's she doing now? Fortune telling, isn't it? Because you're trying to tell the future, jumping to a conclusion that I'm never going to have children. How many people have had a miscarriage and Allah's given them children afterwards? Why are you fortune telling, jumping to conclusion that you're never going to have it? And my husband will divorce me, I'll be alone forever. Meaning if I, if I can have a child, maybe he'll go and get married to somebody else just because I didn't have a child. Well, this was the first time and, and that doesn't mean it's not going to it's going to happen again. So this is the impact it has. So in conclusion, what we spoke about today is again, jumping to conclusions. When we go through stressful times, one of the emotions we experience is anger. Being angry is very normal, but to be aware and to notice the anger coming, when a person becomes angry, there's a part of your brain that gets fired up. That sends messages to the rest of your body. And this is why we feel our heart beat changing, our blood flow changing. Maybe you start becoming tense in your muscles in different areas of your body. And then you might raise your voice. You might do X, Y, and Z. At that time, 
our prefrontal cortex, which is a thinking part of the brain, is offline. We can't make good judgments. We can't remember all details. We can't. So it's wise at that time to do what the Prophet ﷺ told us. What did he say? If you're standing, sit down. If you're sitting, lie down. Make wudu, have some water. Go in another room. If, for example, this brother is making me angry, Ahmar Bhai, okay, I should go in another room. Either he goes in another room, I go in another room. If some item is making you angry, move away from it. Because the more you look at it, the more angry you're going to get. And don't, isn't this one of those things? Okay, you just got just built up more and more and more. And what we do, instead of going away, we keep going towards. Uh, and if it's time to make a judgment, a decision, it's best not to do it at that time, is to delay it. Especially when it comes to children. Because sometimes we might say something or discipline in a way which is unfair, which is unsuitable, which might be inflicting some kind of pain. Or, so if they've done something, try and calm yourself down. And after a while, then pretend to be angry when you're not. And then say what you need to, because there you will say something which will say make much more sense. It will be measured. You won't be out of control. You won't be just speaking out of anger. This is why, you know, um, this is quite interesting actually. You know, with children nowadays, one of the things that are very, have become very, very common is timeout. Timeout. You might hear about it. Oh, timeout. They, even, they use it all over the place now. Timeout. Children misbehaving. Okay, we're good parents now. We don't do punishing. We don't hit. We don't shout. We don't scold. We just do timeout. So timeout is like basically there's either a notice step or something or a corner of the room. Go and sit there. Think about what you've been doing. And when you're ready to apologize, as if a child is ready to apologize, um, think about your actions, right? Their brains are not even developed to that stage. But anyway, think about your actions. And when you're ready, come and apologize to me and you know, everything will be fine. So what's very interesting is timeout was actually invented to save children from abusive parents. That is the purpose, original purpose of timeout when it was invented. Now people are using it to discipline all children. The purpose at that time, the reason why they invented it in maybe the 60s is because sometimes what was happening, exactly what we're saying now, a child does something, the parent gets angry, and out of anger, they are about to discipline their parents, and in disciplining them, they are being abusive. Maybe hitting them, spanking them, um, being abusive towards them. And so what would happen is they introduce this timeout, not for the child, for the parent. So that you have this timeout, so that when you do discipline, you are doing it in a much more calculated way. We've switched it around and given it to the so what's better for a child is something called time in. Time in, not time out. Time in is where rather than you pushing your child away from you, you bring your child closer to you and you give them the time. And you don't have to necessarily say anything because the problem here is a lot of times children misbehave, not because they're malicious, because children are not malicious. They don't have bad intentions. They want you. They want connection with you. And when they don't get that connection with you, that opportunity to connect with you, they'll do certain things just to get your connection, not attention. Remember, this is, a, this is, a, this is not a nice way of saying it. 
We just say, oh, just seeking attention. No child is malicious, just seeking an attention. No, they're seeking connection because we're human beings. That child was connected to the mother and connected to the father from birth. And that's what they want. They're seeking connection. So instead of pushing them away, because time outs don't work. Okay, now you're going to think, no, no, no. I do it all the time and it always works. Do you know why it works? Do you know why it works on the top of it? Because your child can't wait to connect with you again. So anything you tell them to do, they'll do it. Not because they're out of love, out of fear of breaking the connection again. So the best thing at that time is to time in. And if that means going to another room, that's fine, but you go with them, not send them alone. Because a child's brain does not have the capacity to actually evaluate and think of all that. We can't do it as adults. As adults, we struggle to think of what did I do wrong? How, how hard do we find it to apologize to somebody? And we're expecting like a little five-year-old kid to go in your room and think about everything you did. Okay, think about what you did. The brains, that part, the thinking part of the brain is not fully developed until the late 20s. Right, and we're expecting and putting this thing on a child to go and think what you did about everything that you did. No, time it at that time. Give them the connection that they need. Talk to them. Okay, you, you, you seem very angry today. Okay, you, you ended up hitting your brother. And they will tell you exactly what they're feeling, why they did it. And you can have a chat with them and they will overcome that much more easier without the crying, without the tantrums, without the shouting. Otherwise, it's going to be uh, a boxing match, a shouting match, a fighting match. And it'll just keep happening because we're not getting to the root cause. And the root cause was very simple. All that child wanted was you. That's all they wanted. They wanted to connect with you. And they felt the other brother or the other sister was connecting to you more. So they just did something. Uh, they just lashed out. And yeah, and you just sent them into timeout. And the reason why they were quiet in timeout and came and apologized, because they wanted to come back to you quicker. May Allah give us a tawfiq. Okay. Jazakallah khairan. <clears throat> okay, what do you know about Masjid Al-Aqsa lesson 16? We are speaking about pre-Islamic history and today is part four of the pre-Islamic history. We started from the time of Adam alayhi salam and then we spoke about the period of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Then last week we spoke about the period of Yaqub and Yusuf alayhi salam. Today inshallah we're going to speak about the pharaohs. The era of Prophet Musa alayhi salam. Now the Bani Israel in Egypt, they were the people of Tawheed, of monotheism at that time. And they faced severe trials by the Egyptians. The Egyptians viewed them as the leftover garbage of a rule that does no longer remain. And because of this, they subjected the Bani Israel to torture, persecution, enslavement. Consequently, the Bani Israel became the slave class people in Egypt, taking up the professions that the native Egyptians refused to do. And the Quran speaks about this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Qasas, Pharaoh has exalted himself in the land, divided his people into sects. He oppressed a group of them, slaughtering their sons and sparing their women. Truly, he was amongst the transgressors. 
So the pharaohs once ruled, not just Egypt, but even the whole land of Palestine and the city of Jerusalem as well. Over time, because of the pharaonic rule that was over the land of Jerusalem as well, deviations in the religion, the monotheistic religion of Ibrahim السلام, started to appear. And because of which now the Holy Land was yearning for it to return to the true path. The Holy Land of Jerusalem is no longer now on monotheism. Why? Because Ad-Din al-Ibrahimi, the religion of Ibrahim السلام, because of the Pharaonic rule, remember that who were the people of Tawheed, the Bani Israel. Bani Israel are no longer in Jerusalem. They've gone to Egypt. So now corruption started to come to this land. So the first ever conquest of Tawheed was needed. Up until now, Baytul Maqdis has never been need in, in need of a liberation because there's always been Tawheed, monotheism from day one. This is the first time now that there is deviation in the land. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will that the Muslim nation of the time, who are they? The Bani Israel, the believers of that time would be responsible for this conquest. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in Surah Al-Qasas, we desire to show favor We desire to show favor to those who are oppressed in the land Who are the Bani Israel who are being oppressed uh, We wanted to make them leaders And we wanted to make them inheritors of the land We wanted to give them this land and make them the leaders Thus divine guidance was bestowed upon the first liberators of the sacred land Who were they? Prophet Musa alayhi salam and the Bani Israel of that time. What a noble task Allah has given them. They're in Egypt and Allah has given them this noble task that you people are going to be given this responsibility to go to Baytul Maqdis and liberate it. Bad things are happening there. So this is the first time this is happening. Now, while the exact duration of Bani Israel's enslavement remains uncertain, we don't know how long they were in Egypt as slaves, the Quran tells us that the primary mission of Musa السلام, was to free the Bani Israel from Egypt. Again, the Quran tells us, send with us the Bani Israel and do not torment them. فَأَرْسِلْ مَعَنَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ وَلَا تُعَذِّبْهُمْ Quran says, when Musa went to Fir'aun, the primary thing was, look, you do what you want to do, that's fine. Send them and release them and don't punish them so that we can leave from here. This was to rescue them from the tyranny of Fir'aun. Fast forward now, when they're leaving Egypt, the Bani Israel were commanded by Allah to reclaim the land of Baytul Maqdis, Al-Ardul Muqaddasa. Musa salam told them in Surah Al-Ma'idah, go and enter the Holy Land. Ya lakum. The one that Allah has decreed for you. Allah has decreed for you to have this land. Go and enter into it. And do not turn your back. If you turn your back, you'll be losers. So Allah told them that only going forward now, no going backwards. So upon reaching the Holy Land and the borders of the Holy Land, the people of Musa and the Bani Israel, they hesitated. When it was time to enter the Holy City, what did they say? Ya Musa, what did they say? We will never enter this land. As long as those people are inside. So there were warriors inside. They were told, just go in, fight them, and then the holy land will be yours. All this traveling that you've done was for this purpose. It's like somebody keeps a fast from morning, from dawn, all the way till Maghrib, 
and there's 10 minutes left and they said, oh, I can't wait anymore, let me just eat. This is what they did. They came all the way from Egypt, that whole journey they made, they were on the doorstep now, all they have to do is just enter. Quran says, once you enter, Allah will take over the rest. Just enter and you'll be successful. But what did they say? Musa, you go, take Allah with you. We're going to sit right here. We're not coming with you. Because they did this, as a result of this, for 40 years, Allah sentenced them to be in the wandering valley. 40 years. All of these people who refused to enter Baytul Maqdis, Allah deprived them of seeing Baytul Maqdis. They're not going to be, you can't, the, 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 the task of liberation is very noble. It's not going to be given to people that are disobedient. So that's why. And this is why it's important to remember any government, any institution that has been instrumental in helping and supporting the occupation, Allah will not use them for the noble task of liberation. That could be any country in the world. Okay, even the closer ones. If they've been instrumental in helping the occupation, we learn this from the Quran. Anybody that is instrumental in assisting the occupation, Allah will not use them for the liberation. Anyhow. So, after 40 years, so these people are wondering, you know in the valley, 40 years, they start in the morning, they travel, they think, let's go to Al-Ardul Muqaddas, the Holy Land. By the time in the evening, what happens? They end up where they started. And this keeps happening for 40 years. After 40 years of wandering, a new generation of Bani Israel emerged. So within them, Allah gave birth to a new generation. Allah replaced the previous disobedient generation with one that was worthy of reclaiming the Holy Land. And subsequently, Prophet Yusha bin Nun. Yusha bin Nun is the one who led them successfully into Baytul Maqdis for liberation. So this is the end of uh, today's lesson. To summarize, the first thing we learned, the Bani Israel were the monotheists and the people of Tawheed at the time. They were oppressed and enslaved by the Egyptians. And the Quran describes the tyranny where their males would be killed. They would leave their women aside without any male members of their family. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent divine intervention to these people that the corruption has spread so far, it's even reached Jerusalem as well. So you people have been chosen now for this noble task of liberating Baytul Maqdis. Then we spoke about how Musa salam was tasked with freeing the Bani Israel from the tyranny of Fir'aun. And when they arrived to Baytul Maqdis, sadly the Bani Israel refused to enter. Thus, they were in a punishment of 40 years of just wandering around aimlessly. And then finally, somebody comes within their progeny, within their generation, Allah revives a new generation, led by Prophet Yusha bin Nun, and they successfully liberate Baytul Maqdis for the first time in history. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Now inshallah we will give some time for recitation of Quran. So whilst we're collecting the Quran, um, something that's happening right now in Palestine, in Jerusalem, in Masjid Al-Aqsa, it kind of relates to what we just spoke about. So when the Bani Israel were in this 
wandering 40 years of punishment. According to their scriptures, they would stay in these kind of huts, or when they were released from there, they stayed in these type of huts that were made from branches and palm leaves. So every year, they have this festival called Eid al-Urush. In English, it's called something like Sukut. And that was yesterday, and it lasts for one week. All of their festivals last for like a whole week. So yesterday was, Saturday was the actual day. Now, Saturday, um, because it's a Sabbath, they can't do any incursions into Masjid al-Aqsa. Juma is Juma, Saturday is their day. So this is why they delayed it to today. So not right now, as we're speaking, um, they had planned for a mass incursion into Masjid al-Aqsa because Sukkot Eid al-Urush is one of the three festivals which are linked with pilgrimages according to them to the temple, according to their scriptures, making a pilgrimage to the house of the Lord. It, does that even mean Masjid al-Aqsa? Does it mean another place that they believe that was there? Allah knows best. But in their scriptures, in, the, in their Torah, there are three festivals that are strongly linked with going and making a pilgrimage. And one of them is this particular one. And not only will they go themselves, but they will carry these plants. And taking these plants, this is a religious item, it's a religious symbol. Before it was banned, it wasn't allowed. But now, openly, they will carry these. These are religious symbols. Imagine coming, somebody coming to the masjid with their religious... One is coming to visit. Visit, visit, fine. But coming to carry out your religious activities and celebrate your religious festival in a very specific way. Sadly, this is what's going to be happening today in large numbers, carrying these plants. And then there's a certain way you shake them and you do this kind of ritual. And this is being done inside Masjid Al-Aqsa as we speak. And the number of people coming are increasing. And what they do is this, they spend um, their time in the, so in, outside their house, they make this three-sided tent uh, made of branches. And the idea is to eat there, even if you can sleep there, that's good as well. And then you eat your meals there as well for this whole week period, um, celebrating this Thanksgiving of the beginning of the autumn season. And also, this is how they say they lived in huts during the 40-year period. So why do I mention this? I mention this for two reasons. One is to raise concern because this is what's happening to your masjid, one of the greatest places on earth. So you can raise your concern and raise your dua as well. So one is we make dua. And the second reason I mention this is a lot of times we think, what can we do for Masjid Al-Aqsa? One of the greatest services you can do in this day and age for Masjid Al-Aqsa is learn about it is to educate yourself. What you're doing now, basically, you're coming here, you're attending, you're learning something every single week. This is one of the greatest things you can, this is what we need. Because the reason why it's in the state it is now is because of ignorance. Muslims haven't realized, number one, what is Masjid Al-Aqsa and why it's so important. When Muslims realize, so this is the first step to learn, to study, to educate. What you learn here, go and share with other people. Everyone will do this, inshallah. جزاكم الله خيرا. سيدنا الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم. لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله لا 
Allah, Allah, 
partners, O oh Allah. Those who have partners, O oh Allah, grant them pious offspring, O oh Allah. Those of us who you have granted children, O oh Allah, make our children pious, O oh Allah. Make them the coolness of our eyes, O oh Allah. Teach us how to make the tarbiyah, O oh Allah. We don't know, O oh Allah. Guide us, O oh Allah. Show us the correct way, O oh Allah. According to the sunnah of your beloved Habib, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Make his way our way, O oh Allah. Make his morning our morning, O oh Allah. Make his night our night, O oh Allah. Help us to revive the sunnah within our homes, O oh Allah. Help us to revive the sunnah within our families, O oh Allah. Look after our parents, O oh Allah. Take care of our parents, O oh Allah. Grant good health to our parents, O oh Allah. Accept the good deeds of our parents, O oh Allah. Forgive the mistakes and the shortcomings of our parents, O oh Allah. Always keep them with afiyah, O oh Allah. Those of our parents that have left the world, fill their graves with nur, O oh Allah. Grant them jannah to firdaus, O oh Allah. O Allah, grant us jannah to firdaus, O oh Allah. Grant us jannah to firdaus, O oh Allah. Grant us jannah to firdaus, O oh Allah. Forgive us and protect us from the fire of Jahannam, O oh Allah. Make our last day our best day, O oh Allah. Make our final action our best action, O oh Allah. And grant us the kalima, la ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, when we are leaving the world, O oh Allah. Have mercy on the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Alleviate the sufferings from the Muslims of Allah. Wherever Muslims will be persecuted throughout the world of Allah, you come to their aid of Allah. You come to their rescue of Allah. Look after and take care of their needs of Allah. Protect the sanctity of Haramain Sharifain of Allah. Protect the sanctity of Masjid al-Aqsa of Allah. Masjid al-Aqsa, its people and its sanctity is being violated on a daily basis of Allah. Allah, help us to restore its sanctity of Allah. Allah. Help us to restore and defend its rights, O oh Allah. Help us to cleanse and purify it, O oh Allah. Grant liberation to the Palestinians from the illegal occupation, O oh Allah. Grant them liberation, O oh Allah. Free them from the suffocating occupation, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, put an end to the occupation, O oh Allah. And restore the land of justice and peace once again, O oh Allah. Those who are defending Masjid al-Aqsa, you defend them, O oh Allah. Protect them, O oh Allah. Take care of their needs, O oh Allah. Allow them to continue resisting the occupation. Occupation, O Allah, the Murabiteen, the Murabitat, O Allah, increase them in their faith, O Allah. They are the front line, O Allah. Help us to always pray for them, O Allah. Make us from amongst those who defend your holy places, O Allah. Accept us for this cause, O Allah, and do not replace us, O Allah. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifun, Wasalamun Alal Mursaleen, Alhamdulillah.